Business Fundraisers. I'm Dawn Lego, and it's time once again to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation Radio, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you to continue making impact in our communities, building better tomorrows, and exchanging ideas. So whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, you'll pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. And together, we'll dive into lively conversations and chat with industry-leading fundraisers and thought leaders to explore hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. All right, let's get going. I am super excited to welcome this very special guest to Raise Nation Radio. Whatever you're doing right now, just sit back and relax because you're going to be intrigued, fascinated, and inspired by the one and only Blair Braverman who is also our keynote coming up at Ray's conference in September, September um, 2020, uh, 2022. Gosh, I don't know what year I'm in, Um, but we are just going to have the most interesting conversations, I suspect. Blair, how are you? Welcome to Ray's Nation Radio. I am great. I'm so happy to be here with you, Don. Thank you. Well, thank you for your time. I know you're super busy. Now, where are you right now? I'm seeing, um, unfortunately, our audience doesn't get to see the uh, uh, video portion uh, of the podcast, but I'm seeing a log cabin. So tell us where you are right now. So I live in the Northwoods of Wisconsin in a town of about 500 people. And at this oh, moment, that, that many, huh? That many. It's <laughs> that a, many. a <laughs> metropolis. Uh, and at this moment, I'm actually at a friend's one-room cabin And he has trails near his cabin that he lets us train our dogs on. I'm a dog sledder and I have sled dogs. And so we're up here, me and my husband. We have no plumbing, uh, but we do have internet. And we are no plumbing, but internet. There we go. Priorities are in order. (laughs) (laughs) And we are up here scouting for trails to train our dogs on in the fall. Oh my gosh. I don't even know where to begin with that, but let's, I guess, begin, I guess at the beginning, or although I do want to say I'm super excited, Blair, I just ordered your book. I think it's your first book, right? Welcome to the goddamn ice cube. Is that right? It is. It is. It talks about how I got into mushing in the first place. It was was an unlikely path. Okay. I don't even know what mushing is. We're going to have to get to that at some point during the, <laughs> mushing the podcast. And dog sledding are the same thing. It involves uh, huskies who really like to run. And so you attach them to the front of a sled and you get on the sled and, and you sort of release them. And then they, they pull you through the wilderness. Okay. Is it dangerous? It can be, but we try to avoid that. Okay. All right. All right. We're going to get into that. Now <laughs> I ordered this book because it, it, it well, first of all, the title was just so intriguing. And I wanted to start at the beginning with your journey. But how many books have you written? And you have one coming out pretty soon? I have two out. I have uh, a memoir of how I got into mushing. I grew up in California and I moved to the Norwegian Arctic when I was 18 um, to, to learn dog sledding and from there worked as a guide. And then I have a book called Dogs on the Trail, which is just a year in the life of sled dogs. If you are interested in the sport or you just really like dogs and want to see cute pictures of dogs doing really exciting things and having fun, um, then that's a photo book that just sort of shows what it's all about. Great, and great, um, like coffee table kind of living room book that you need it, to put on display, right? It is. It has it has incredible photographs. And I can say that because the incredible ones are not ones I took. We have friends who are photographers who have joined us on the trail and they just captured these incredible moments. And they were kind enough to let us include those in the book. And, and then my first novel is coming out in November and it's November. called Small Game. It's available for pre-order. 
pre-order on Amazon or mm-hmm. other? It is. Great. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to pre-order that. I didn't see that one, but I'm definitely going to do that when we finish <laughs> this podcast. All right. So we kind of just dropped a few hints about who you are and, and what you do, but I'm sure our audience is like, wait, what? Mushing, dog sledding, you know, the, the North, the Arctic, like Wisconsin, California. We, we just dropped a whole bunch of little, um, little sprinkles here and there. Why don't we dial back? Who are you? What is it that you do? <laughs> Let, let's, let's hear the elevator pitch, if you don't mind, because I couldn't do it any justice. You're just so fascinating. <laughs> oh, man. I, my, my name is Blair. You met me already. I am a dog sledder and an outdoor adventurer, and I'm also a writer. So I have been so lucky in my life that I get to do incredible things outdoors. I have mushed Uh, That means traveling by sled dog uh, alone with my team for thousands of miles of wilderness, Um, you know, collectively many, many months at a time of being completely alone in the wilderness with my dogs. Um, I have done some other adventurous things. I was on the show Naked and Afraid. I've done, I hiked 400 miles at one point. I get to, I love being outdoors and moving and finding new ways to connect with nature. And I'm also a writer. So that, that is, you know, by the sort of business end of my career, I've, uh, I write books and columns. I'm a contributing editor to Outside Magazine. Uh, so I, I love what I do. I'm incredibly lucky. Well, that that's fantastic um, because you get to put all your loves together um, and call it work. And so, yeah, yeah. how fortunate is that? Um, Good for you. And you just have such cool topics to write about. I mean, it's just just amazing. So you have this calling when you're 18. I don't know where I was at 18. Sadly, I probably was just interested in boys, which. Well, I was too. (laughs) But but you 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 listened to your calling and the wilderness called you and and fur babies called you and this sport called you and danger. And how, how did you listen to it? And, and not only just listen to it, but take action and, and go forth. Can you bring us back to those days? Well, I, I lived in Norway as a kid. My family had lived in Norway. Uh, My mother's uh, my mother is Norwegian. Her fa- heritage is Norwegian. And so my dad's job brought us there. He works in public health. So we all moved to Norway for a while and I loved it. And I learned the language and I always wanted to go back. And I uh, grew up in California where I just always felt like it wasn't the right nature for me. I loved it, but it was so hot. And I'm really just a cold place person as may be obvious. And I learned when I was 18 about this school called a folk school in the Norwegian Arctic. And it was a year long boarding school with free tuition for anyone to come dog sled for a year. It is a public school where you can come learn dog sledding for a year. There are 40 students. And as soon as I learned about that, I was, I was set like, that was it. Everything, everything I was doing in my life that last year or two of high school was like, I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to become a musher because I love dogs. I was practically, my first word was my golden retriever's name. And uh, uh, her name was Gilly. Gilly. Okay. And I just, I, I love dogs so much and I love being outdoors and the idea that you could combine them, that you could be working with dogs and having deep relationships with them and also seeing incredibly beautiful places and uh, that so few people get to see, like, it just seemed too good to be true. It was magic. It, it, I couldn't even believe it was real. Uh, and, and it so was. 
It was real. And so at 18, I went to that school and my parents were, um, you know, baffled, but supportive. And that that was it. That's a good I'm, mom and dad right there. <laughs> they are. They're really wonderful. They've uh, encouraged me through a lot that they uh, find completely baffling about what I'm drawn to. But uh, I'm now 34 and I've been mushing ever since I became a dog sled guide in Alaska. I lived on a glacier for seven months and uh, was a dog sled guide on a glacier um, when I was 19. Uh, when I was in my mid-20s, I met my my husband. His name is Quince Mountain. And he had a farm in the Wisconsin Northwoods. And I was a dog sledder who didn't have my own sled dogs. So I moved up to his farm after we finished grad school. And um, got dogs and immediately we were both all in it's become our entire lives so we now have 25 sled dogs wow is that a lot for a person who mushes or dog sleds i don't i don't put that in perspective for us well it's a lot of dogs yeah it's a lot of dog care it's certainly our lives revolve around the needs of the dogs um sure yeah well, you know what i find fascinating decent sized distance team yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would find one a, a pretty decent sized <laughs> distance team, let alone 25. But what I find fascinating is that you actually took those actions. I too love everything about cold weather, cold weather sports. I, I chose Banff Canada for my honeymoon instead really? of. Some, yeah. Oh, did you and go I'm dog like, sledding? I didn't. Did No, 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 we didn't. We did a lot. Um, and a lot of obviously outdoors and physical and, mm -hmm. you know, hiking through ice sculptures and, and things like that. But we didn't go dog sledding. I'm going to have to try that. Or I'm going to have to, you know, ride your coattails and help you. Some, and some anniversary. And you can go back. You can relive your honeymoon. And, and you can and get on, you'll fall in love. If you like dogs and you get on a dog sled, you'll fall in love. Especially huskies. Are they not the most beautiful creatures? They, they are. I have one outside the window looking at me right now. I think waiting we're to hear hearing me talk about how him or her in the background. <laughs> what, what's what's the little one? What's the husky's name? Her name is Peppy. She's our main lead dog. She's now nine years old. So she's Aww. getting a little older, but she has not retired yet. She will not allow it. She so what's the lifespan the of a um, husky who's dog sledding? You said close to retirement at nine years old? Uh one of the reasons that I love distance mushing, which is what I do where you go a hundred miles or 200 or 500 or a thousand miles at once is that Wait, what? what was that? What was <laughs> that? That's the kind of mushing I do. I'll go out for hundreds of miles at a time. Okay. Um, and I do it unassisted. So I don't have a pit crew nobody's helping me. Um, uh, but one of the reasons that my husband and I love this part of mushing, the distance mushing, is because sled dogs can do it so late into their lives. Um, okay. It's like it's like humans, even, even runners who are getting up in their 60s or 70s, sometimes you see them doing marathons more than you see them doing sprints because they can sort of go slow and steady. Um, your body can go slow and steady for a really long time. So it's really not uncommon to see 11 or 12-year-old dogs um, running distances like that and being really healthy and happy and, um, you know, and they love doing it. So them getting to have really long careers is fantastic. And then, oh. um, they will pull their whole lives. They always love it. I have a friend who has multiple 18 year old dogs who still pull a sled every day. Um, but the distances get shorter. So 
you know, we have some teenagers, we have a couple 13 year olds. They definitely, they go for runs, but we take them a couple miles. We want something that's really gentle. They can get out there, but they're not overdoing it on their bodies. Got it. Okay. Well, let's turn back to you a little bit. Um, in some of the comments and, and descriptions about you and your life and what you've done, you said that this whole journey has helped you conquer fears and um, quite a bit of self-discovery. Can you talk about that and how that all ties together in just personal development? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I am one of the most fearful people I've ever met. Um, I am afraid of everything. I'm a high, I'm highly anxious. I overthink things. I don't like adrenaline. I don't want to go on a big roller coaster. Um, so you, so you'll mush for hours and long distances, but no roller coasters. Yeah. I mean, like, look, if I needed to, I would, but I would not do it recreationally. I wouldn't get on a big roller coaster for fun. Okay. Um, but the thing about mushing is you're with dogs. And here's the thing to understand. If you haven't seen sled dogs in action, maybe you've seen like a retriever in action and how they love chasing a tennis ball again and again and again and again, and they never get tired of it. And it's the best thing in the world to them. And they see that tennis ball and like all other thoughts leave their mind. Um, that sort of instinct that makes a retriever want to chase that tennis ball forever is the same kind of instinct that a sled dog brings to running. They're obsessed. They love it. It's all they want to do. And that's so joyful. So when you're out with a team of dogs who are doing this thing that like every cell in their body wants to do desperately, um, it has to be like, it has to be a joyful activity, no matter how scared you are, because you love these dogs and they're so happy and that's really contagious. And so even if I'm nervous about a particular trail, I'm not going to let down my dogs. I have oh, to, I have to go perspective. out I didn't there for them. Expect, yeah. And then, you know, and then once I'm actually doing things, once you're in the moment, it's often less scary than it is when you're anticipating the, the frightening thing. Um, so I, I sort of trick myself through working with the dogs. I, I just, once I've committed to giving these dogs what they need, then I'm going to take them out on any trail that that's safe enough. Um, and I, I simply have to rise up to that challenge because I'm not going to let my dogs down. I didn't expect that perspective, actually. Um, I don't know what I expected, but that's kind <laughs> of an interesting, an interesting take on it. Um, your the love of dogs is is and, and uh, do you feel a sense of family and safety and they're going to take care of you? Uh, are they what's the awareness there that you're mushing with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, my life has been in their hands, in their paws many times. Wow. When I go, if I go into the wilderness and I'm days away from other humans sometimes, and it's 30 below, if your dog team stops moving, you die. Like they, you can't, we all need to be working together at all times because the stakes are actually quite high. And I need to make sure that I am anticipating every single thing the dogs need. Um, and they, they love really cold temperatures. So 30 below is maybe not that great of an example because they're, they're actually really thriving in that temperature, but warm temperatures, 30 above 40 above, which it sometimes gets in the winter, that's actually quite dangerous. And I need to be really, really careful not to let the dogs overheat. Wow. And how, how long are these 
mush trips, mushing trips. I mean, what's the <laughs> longest you've been out in the wilderness? The longest I've been out completely alone is two weeks, I would say. Wow. Um, and in, I do races. So you do go through checkpoints and checkpoints are where you can pick up new supplies that you've sent ahead. Um, and there's also always a crew of volunteer veterinarians who are there to answer any question. So there's, that's the degree of outside assistance you have is you can always, always, always ask for veterinary advice, veterinary help. Um, but no one's going to repair your sled. No one's going to fix your boots. No one, you know, if you jumped your sled in a river and it froze solid and you need to like chip everything out of it with an ax, no one's going to do that for you. And have, have we done that? We have. Yes, we have. We have. Okay. We have. I'm intrigued. What would, to the degree you, you don't mind sharing, what has been the scariest <laughs> moment out in the wilderness? Ooh, the scariest moment. Actually, um, it's, it's kind of an unlikely story. Do you want to hear a little bit of a story? I do. I'm fascinated. Okay. Please. Uh, so this happened in, in my rookie Iditarod. It was in 2019, I want to say. 18, 19. Um, and I was in a part of Alaska that is so remote that it is, it is larger than many states and doesn't have a single human resident. Okay. So when you're mushing in this area, you know, like you are farther from humans than you have ever been. And that nobody gets that far from humans, but we do with our dogs. And, um, and it was this very eerie part of the trail. It was sort of gray. There were these big sweeping hills up and down and up and down and scraggly trees. And there was this wind that sounded like voices going through the trees. Um, and there are ghost towns in this region, um, but nobody's lived there, you know, since the gold rush. So wolves have moved into the houses. Uh, it's just this very, very, unusual landscape. And I think it, if I recall correctly, it took like two or three days to pass through that section. So, you know, and I just sleep on the snow beside my dogs and then we get up and, and keep going and sleep on the snow a couple hours later, take a rest and keep going. And um, so you really get in a mode. I hadn't even seen other dog teams in, in quite a while. And I was going over one of these big hills and my head, it was dark so my headlamp, you know, as we went over the top of the hill, I was shining down at the snow and the scraggly trees sort of spread out below us. And there was a little creek bed at the bottom of the hill surrounded by a few more trees. And um, and as my headlamp swept over those trees ahead of us, a human figure stepped out of the trees, a sort of pitch black, emaciated human figure. And it stood there with its arms down by its side facing us. And then it vanished again into the trees. And people do hallucinate on, on these kinds of journeys. And I, I had not hallucinated up to that point, but I was like, well, this is the moment. I, I, this is the moment that my brain chose to start hallucinating. And oh my gosh. Uh, so I wasn't particularly nervous and we kept going. And uh, as we got closer, I was like, at some point I'll notice the branches of the trees and I'll be able to see like which branches tricked my brain into thinking they were a human figure, if you know what I mean. Sure. And, uh, and I'm getting closer and then it happens again, the same figure steps out, um, and it's staring at us and its limbs are incredibly thin. Um, and it's pitch black, like black as night. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like this outline and, uh, and then it disappears into the trees again. And, and that time I started to get nervous because, um, you know, I had seen it twice and of course there were no people around here. And, um, 
but we kept going closer and the dogs were running and they, you know, they didn't care about my hallucinations. Uh, and then as we were getting closer, it happened again. And a third time, time. Oh boy. A third time. This time, all of the dog's hackles went up through their harnesses. So it wasn't a hallucination. It was real. So they're they feeling it. Too, it. Yeah. Okay. And they were afraid of it. And at oh. that point I was like, okay, it's not this me. This is it. I'm aliens. Like I, I'm about, like, I never believed in aliens, but I am now about to just like, whatever happens when I get to this Creek is going to fundamentally change my understanding of the world that there's demons or aliens or things that I never believed existed, but here I am meeting one and the dogs see it. And like, I can't deny what's in front of my eyes. Um, but at that I'm point, hanging on your every word, I just want you to know. And, I, and so is our audience. But. <laughs> at that point, we'd been moving forward for so many days. Our only instinct was forward. There was no way I was going to turn the team around and go back for days, you know, to, to the whatever village we had passed most recently. So you're making ago. split decisions in fear and unknown. Right. Which is even oh, more well, fear. Absolutely. And um, so we keep going. And this time, all the dogs hackles, they look like little porcupines. All their hackles are up. And, um, and we get closer and closer. And I keep thinking the closer we get at some point, as we get closer, this thing is going to morph into a tree and it's going to become clear. It was a trick of the light. Um, so it was almost with relief. I was like, we're getting closer and we're getting closer and I'm going to see how it wasn't real. Um, but the closer we got, the closer we got, the more clearly it appeared to be exactly what I had seen this pitch black human figure standing dead center of the trail, staring at us in the middle of the deepest wilderness I'd ever been in. And to the point where my lead dogs were starting to reach the figure and they went up out of the trail to go around it. At that point, it's still, it's still just staring. And then I saw a little patch of red by the side of the trail, like, and at first it didn't make sense. Like the, that's an unnatural color to see in, in the winter right there. Um, and then the red, the red was like a bag. And it wasn't until like half my team had passed this figure that I realized it was a human ultra runner who was running the Iditarod trail on foot. And he was dressed in head to toe black spandex. And he had simply stopped because he hadn't seen human in humans in days either. And he wanted to watch the cool dog team running toward him. No. Yes. You're kidding me. I I'm not kidding you. He was wearing black gloves, black balaclava. He was very thin because he was an ultra marathoner who runs a yeah. thousand miles okay. at a time. Like, <laughs> oh my God, that is unbelievable. Um, so then, you know, I stopped my sled behind. Him. I was just going to ask, were you able to stop? Or when you have that momentum, do you have to keep going? But you were able to stop. I was able to stop. And, um, I didn't know what to say. There was no way to express what I had been, what I thought he was. Um, so I stopped and I had a bunch of frozen cheesecakes in my sled. Cause that's what I eat when I'm out there. Cause they, you can eat them while they're frozen and they're high calorie. You can just okay. like bite them off like a cookie. So I had a bunch of miniature frozen cheesecakes so you, and I didn't you, know what to do. So I offered him some cheesecake. You split bread um, over frozen cheesecakes. And he was like, no, I've got some like nuts. I don't need it. Um, and then I sort of stood there awkwardly for a while. And I was like, do you need anything else? And he was like, no, do you need anything? And I was like, no, we're, we're good. And, and then we just kept going and we left him there. Uh, that was Holy the end of the cow. story. You didn't like exchange 
contact information to no no although i did see him a couple times farther up the trail wow uh, i ran into it we we passed in a laundromat at one point there was a village with a laundromat that we could stop in and use and uh I well, I could just sit around a campfire with some s'mores and, you know, a cup of coffee and just listen to you, you know, all day. What you've seen, what you've accomplished has to be just spectacular. But but what what have what what have you learned? What about either yourself or life or huskies or what 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 are the lessons that you've taken from being so many hours out in the wilderness? I think the well, there's so many lessons I've learned, so it's very sure. hard to come away with just one. But uh, the one that personally has helped me a lot, um, there's so many things we have set out to do that seem impossible. When you look at a map and you look at the finish line and it is so far away. I mean, these distances, it's like, you know, from New York to Florida, this is the kind of distance we're crossing. Um and you know, there's mountain ranges you're going to need to go up and over. There's rivers you're going to have to cross. There's you're going to encounter however many blizzards like there's there's so many barriers in between you and that finish line. Um, and it seems impossible. And the dogs can't read maps, so they don't have a sense of how far they're going. They're just like, I'm running today. And then the next day they're like, I'm running today, too. And so they're not thinking about the big picture in the way you are. that's your job. Um and it seems so discouraging to see something that has so many challenges between now and then. Um, and the biggest lesson for me, I mean, it may, it may not be that groundbreaking, but you can do the impossible if you just go checkpoint by checkpoint, just break it down. One foot it's in front an, of the other, step by step. It's an impossible journey. Figure out what the next goal is. I'm going to get to this village by tomorrow, you don't think about what's ahead of that. You're just going to take care of yourself, take care of your team, make sure that you're getting enough sleep, enough uh, food, you know, everything you need to take care of yourselves along the way. And you're going to get to that village. That's it. Then in that village, then you can figure out what your next stretch is, but you can't think about the whole thing at once. And so now, you know, outside of mushing, when there's some task that seems impossible to accomplish, I have that experience of knowing we can do these impossible things and I cannot think of the whole thing. I just need to break it down. What is next? Checkpoint by checkpoint. Checkpoint by checkpoint. And you'll get One there. Foot. That's the only way yep. to get there. One foot in front of the other, day by mm -hmm. day, little by little, and you can move mountains. Absolutely. That's, uh, yeah, fascinating. So how many in a given year, how many hours are spent mushing and how many hours are spent in log cabins? <laughs> uh I don't know. I've never tried to add them up. Uh, so we start training the dogs as soon as the temperature dips below 50 degrees. If it's warmer than that, uh, then it's too hot for them to pull. Um, but as soon as like the nights are below 50 degrees, we wake up at four in the morning and we start going out just a couple miles at a time. Um, and then by January, you might be going 60 miles in a single run. And the dogs aren't tired when they get back. Um, so running at capacity in September might only take 45 minutes, but running at capacity in January might take 12 hours, which is a long way of saying, I, I don't know yeah. how long I spend on a sled. Um, Do you feel just free and beautiful and 
It is. It's the I most can't imagine feeling in the world. And you're just, all you can hear is the dog's breath and their paws on the snow and you can see, and then whenever you can be running for hours and then you stop to like give the dogs frozen chicken thighs or something. And instantly they're like, why'd we stop? Why'd we stop? They're so funny. But then the moment they run, they're silent. Um, And it's just the most beautiful feeling in the world. Yeah, I I can imagine. So you're very unapologetic for what you do. And I don't know why you would apologize. It's just beautiful and fascinating and intriguing (laughs) and good for you. Because I'm sure if I would have seen that, you know, brochure, whatever it is that you saw about, you know, a, a boarding school that teaches dog sledding, I'd probably be fascinated, intrigued, but I wouldn't take that action. And um, so cool that, you know, that you did and that you share that story with the world and the pictures and everything that's wonderful. So there's no reason to apologize. But for those people who ask why, because it's a little bit different than, you know, nine to five type of work in an office. When somebody does ask why, what is your answer to that? I'm really hitting you hard with these questions, aren't I? Yeah, I, it's a great question. I don't have a great answer. Uh, I just love it. I Sometimes you find something and you're just, it just feels like that's the thing you were meant to do. I always feel like if at the end of my life, I've spent a lot of time on a dog sled, that was a, a good life lived on earth. Wow. Wow. That That's just super cool. Um, because again, <laughs> a lot of us dream of these things or wish that we would have taken action, but but don't, right. Don't, don't make that move. You know, I'm, I mm-hmm. love the outdoors, especially the cold weather and sports. Really? And oh, yeah, amazing. I do. I super, I, I do. What do you um, do? Well, I, well, I'm old now and I got two kids and I have to think about them. So I, I would say I did it more, you know, in, in a former life, but, um, you know, anything on a snowy mountain, uh, hiking, ice sculptures, um, snowmobiling, skiing. Really? You know, oh, I, I you, love it all. You've got to go dog sledding. So how do you well, get into it then? If somebody's listening to this and just, you know, wants, do, do you have to go to the point of being professional? I would call you professional or what, mm-hmm. what type of training would you need to, to do mushing as a, you know, hobby? Yeah. So, so my husband and I are professional. We do professional races and we're sponsored. Um, and we have a really wonderful community around the team that we we love a lot. And um, but it does not. But the point of mushing, the point of dog sports is getting out there and doing it with your dog. So if you have one dog, if your dog likes to pull on their leash, like if you walk them and they are trying to pull on their leash, they would probably like pulling in some other capacity. So you could get them a harness and see if they want to pull you on a bicycle or, or I love scooters. That's what we use for dry land. Um, or if you like skiing and you have a dog who likes ski, uh, who likes running beside you, you could put them in a harness and see if they want to pull you. That's also mushing. There isn't, it doesn't have to be this huge exotic lifestyle. It's something you can do with one dog and it could, you could do it with any kind of dog that wants to pull on their leash. There's, I know so many people who mush all the time and they have like one pointer or Mm -hmm. two pointers or their lab wants to run. And, um, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. That's what I was just going to ask you care about is breaking down this division that it has to be this huge lifestyle. It's about getting outside with your dog. And if you go a mile, that's great. Yeah. I, um, used to go in just upstate New York to, not as remote as you have. I wouldn't even begin to compare, but <laughs> I used to um, go snowmobiling in just some 
random obscure trails in upstate New York. And what I loved, well, mine was a little bit more habitated, I would say, um, that you would just pull off the side of, you know, a trail and there would be just a log restaurant where people would just hang out and have some good food and become friends for life. And then you'd hop back on your snowmobile and off you go again. And (laughs) so I have a little glimpse, just a teeny, teeny, tiny glimpse of what you're doing. We share trails with snowmobilers all the time. So we, and sometimes we hook our dogs to the front of a snowmobile because it has better braking power than a sled. Ah. So for a long run, we might, we might do 40 miles where we're on, on a snowmobile. Um, and the dogs are, you know, hooked up in front of the snowmobile. And in particular, we like to use the snowmobile if one of us is going alone because it has really good braking power. So if you mm-hmm. need to cross a road or something, a sled brakes are a little, a sled's brakes are a little iffy and it can be mm-hmm. dangerous. Like you might not be able to stop them before a road. So we will always use a snowmobile for braking power if, if we need that for safety. So I totally know those restaurants you're talking about. We've stopped there with our dogs. We've made really wonderful friends there. It's just the best thing people. Yeah. Enjoying nature together. I'm going to have to get your second book because I know just a little bit that I've done and just that feeling of speed. I have to be honest. I love that feeling of speed and being (laughs) on a snowmobile and just seeing white and wilderness. It's just such a free feeling. Um, I can't imagine what you've seen, but you're at least, you know, your coffee table book will help me understand (laughs) a little bit more. Um, So what do you have coming up at Raise? You are our keynote speaker for the Raise 2022 uh, conference. I'm so honored. Yeah, we, um, we have a good community, uh, a nonprofit community that uh, attends year over year. And we look forward to this um, conference every year. And uh, our keynote is always very special, just like yourself. So what can we expect for those who will be uh, joining us in Chicago and uh, coming up shortly? What can we expect? I can't wait. I'm so honored to be coming. I can't wait to meet you all. Uh, I am going to be talking, I'm going to be talking about sled dogs, uh, but what I'm going to be talking about in particular is what sled dogs have taught me about teamwork and leadership. And I'm going to be breaking down some ideas about lead dogs, which are the dogs at the front of the team. There's a lot of misconceptions about them and just talking about uh, what I've learned about collaboration from working with these dogs so closely for so many years. And of course, I'll be doing that through stories about adventures on the trail. I have some photos of really cute dogs. Um, If you'll indulge me and allow some photos and videos of incredibly cute dogs. Uh, So who doesn't want photos? (laughs) I'm in, I'm in. Um, Wow. There's so much to learn from you. Just, um, I don't even know, like my, like the top 10 list is so quick, just your, your, your being unapologetic, following your dreams and, and taking action on them and don't let it, don't allowing them to stay in your dreams, overcoming fear. Now I'm hearing about survival and leadership and collaboration. Just amazing that you are sharing your personal loves with the world and more specifically with our nonprofit community at raise. It's just so very special of you. Thank you so much. You're so sweet. I admire the heck out of all of you, the work that you do. And it seems like hard work and important work. And, um, we've worked with some nonprofits out on the trail. We've done 
in the in my first Iditarod, uh, I cannot take credit for this, but fans of the team while I was out there raised over $100,000 for villages that I was mushing through for schools and for needs they had. And I see how much of a difference that made even years later, I still hear from people. And I, you know, when I mush into those villages, strangers will give me hugs and they say, you know, we have our kids have what they need at schools now and, or not now, but it it made a difference. We still are using those supplies. And um, I don't know. I see how meaningful that was. It's one of the things I'm proudest to have been even very tangentially involved in. And so to see you guys doing that work every day, um, I just I admire the heck out of all of you. Oh, that's so sweet of you to say. But we are actually just um, it, it's it's the fearless fundraisers risers out there that are doing the work. We we just support them with 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 technology. So our job is not nearly it's as all hard. A team. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's well, that's right. That and I'm going to learn more about that. <laughs> it takes a village. I mean, our our mushing team, it's the dogs and it's us. And it's also so many wonderful people who are connected to the team in different ways. And I, I know it's the same for all of you. Yeah. Well, got to work together. And I guess we're going to learn more about that at Raise. And and I can't wait. It's coming up very shortly, but uh, I'll be front and center because we've actually <laughs> just consumed a half hour like, like that. And I know you have so much more to share and it's just so special that you are sharing. So um, I'm really excited about learning more. I'm excited about your book um, and getting that in. I uh, can't wait for the Amazon truck to pull up and dropping the book <laughs> off. Um, but how, you know, if somebody wanted to, so all your books are uh, available on Amazon. Is that right? Mm-hmm, so one pre-order and two, they can get today. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Okay. Can we just rattle off the three titles? Yeah. So um, my first book is called Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube. And that is about uh, basically being a young woman and moving to the far north Um and many of the challenges that came along with that. Uh, I was often in places where I was the only woman or among men who were twice my age and that had its own difficulties. I'm sure you can imagine. Um, sure. And it's also about falling in love with mushing, but it's not super mushing related. Uh, then I have a book called Dogs on the Trail, which was co-written with my husband. And it is just, kids really like it, um, even though, it's also an adult book. It's just a bunch of cute dog photos and it follows the sled dogs through a year. So if you're hearing this and you're curious uh, about what this lifestyle is like, that'll that'll give you an intro. Um, and then my first novel is coming out in November and it's called Small Game and it's about a survival reality show gone wrong. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm going to go on the pre-order. They're all <laughs> fascinating. And the reviews are amazing. I mean, oh. these reviews are just over the top. And um, I know it will not uh, disappoint. Now, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, learn more, just reach out. Um, you have your own website. How would they do that? Yeah. So anyone, if you have any questions you're hearing or you want to reach out for any reason, you can always reach out to me and I will. Um, I'm available. I might not get back to you right away if I happen to be out on the trail, but um, I love hearing from people. So my website is blairbraverman.com and it, it should have contact info on there. Um, but you can also write to bravermountainmushing at gmail.com. Braver, uh, like the word, mountain, like the word, mushing, M-U-S-H-I-N-G at gmail.com. Um, and that will always get to me. 
And or you can come to the race conference, either yes, in person or race. virtually, and hear the <laughs> keynote. I, I I just can't wait. Well, fearless fundraisers, I'm so sorry to cut this uh, interview. At, at any point, but that is unfortunately all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We do hope you enjoy today's Raise Nation topic and your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. Tune in for a new episode release every Thursday at 12.30 p.m. That's Thursdays, 12.30 p.m. But in the meantime, be sure to listen to all the episodes on Raise Nation Radio. Follow the channel that you like the best so that you can get notifications about all our guests. We're on demand at onecause.com and we stream on 10 different favorite podcast channels. Fundraisers, you're doing amazing things to build better tomorrows for our communities. Your stories are awe-inspiring, and I know our community won't want to miss a single episode. I would like to thank our sponsor, One Cause, for making this episode possible. One Cause is driving the future of fundraising with easy-to-use software solutions that help nonprofits connect with donors. Be sure to check One Cause out at onecause.com. Visit the resource tab on the homepage for a broad catalog of eBooks that we're sure you'll find helpful. A huge shout out to the most wonderful, fascinating, intriguing, inspiring person that I've met. Uh, thanks so much to my guest, uh, Blair Braverman. I so appreciate you sharing your stories and your authentic voice. Thank you for being with us today. I so enjoyed our conversation. Any last words of inspiration? I just feel incredible gratitude to be talking to you, Don, and to be getting to know this community. I cannot wait to meet you all. That is inspiring to me. Oh, well, we're inspired by you and uh, I can't wait. The weeks can't roll by fast enough where I can <laughs> shake hands with you in person. Thank you again so, so much. Thank you so much. So Raise Nation Radio, that is a wrap. Until next time, I'm Don Lego. This is Raise Nation Radio. You stay fearless out there.